This episode of Finding Demo Surf Fishing is being brought to you by The Sinker Guy. Head on over to thesinkerguy.com and take a look at all the stuff that Chip's got going on in The Sinker Guy Garage. Need to get your hands on Sputniks? It's in his name. He's got you covered there. Maybe some terminal tackle. Got that stuff easily for you to get your hands on. Mm, something about the Bruno rig? Yeah. Fishing rigs. Plenty of them. The thing's been catching quite a bit. Also, the entire setup to get your hands on for mortician rigs and pieces like that. So lots of good stuff to get your hands on. If you want it, you really can. Not too hard. All right. Well, this week, we're getting into it. And uh, I hope you're ready because I know it's going to be fun. Welcome to a new episode. It's a new week. Hope you're doing well wherever you are and you've been catching a bunch of fish. This week, we're doing a little digital road trip up to North Carolina, and we're talking with a name you've probably heard of before if you've been fishing ever in your life. Yeah, we're talking with Mr. Tommy Farmer. That's right. Carolina Cast Pro. You can find all his other stuff, uh, his information and his uh, market office. Let's see here. Shop, knowledge, lots of pieces all put together on his website at carolinacastpro.com. Uh, he doesn't need a big introduction. World champion caster. Lots of people have gone to his seminars and come out saying, yeah, learned a ton, super successful, feeling great about it and utilizing the knowledge that he's uh, shared with them and they're being successful. So I hope you're ready. Hope you got your notepads out because it's going to be a good episode. All right. Well, without further ado, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you for coming on. Glad to be here. So you, I love the background here. I'm all looking. I was like, nice. The North Carolina flag, some signatures. I see some plaques. And knowing what I've heard and seen about you all this, I'm guessing that might have to do with some of your competitions back there. Is that what those are in citations? Yes. Uh, citations are on a different wall, but this is just a portion of, of the uh, the plaques and awards that I've won through the not years, decades now uh, in competitive casting. The North Carolina flag behind me over here is pretty cool. Um, little piece. I took a flag when I went to Belgium, 2008, and I got all the casters. There was like, I don't know, a hundred and some casters from like 15 different countries. And I got as many of them as I could wrangle up to sign the flag. So it's a pretty good memento for me personally. And it, it, it hangs prominently on the wall here in the shop. It's a, it's, it's just a fun reminder where I was, what I did. And, uh, it was, a uh, it was a good time. This, I mean, world famous is always a, a great thing to be able to say, but here it is right here. You mean Belgium in a competition, got all the other ones out there. I mean, that's where everyone got together. That has got to be great to look back and see some of the names and go, oh, yeah, I remember. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, it, it, it was absolutely a great time. Uh, went to England. I've uh, been to England twice, Belgium once, competed in five international uh world type events and uh, i i'm gonna correct you you said world champion i actually finished as high as second in the world in 2006 uh so never made it to the top of the world rankings but i did i'm like either i lost count either seven or eight time national u.s distance casting champion i've held all the records for throwing sinkers a long way 
which since have been broken by 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 young studs in the casting world. But uh, I, I I had them, and uh, it's just a it's been a as my wife puts it, it's a hobby gone wild. That's actually really well said. I mean, God, yeah, that that could fall under for fishing too. So I love that. Oh, yeah. Ab- well, it is an extension of fishing. You know, I started surf fishing when I was young in my twenties, and I think we won't get into all that. But but it, it evolved uh, into a, a very competitive thing for me. I became obsessed and and just had to see just how far I could push it and how good I could become. I got a late start. I didn't even get started in competitive casting until I was in my late thirties. So uh, I was casting literally, especially in Europe, I was casting against guys that were half my age. And uh, it was a, it was it was a lot of fun. I guess I was an elder statesman at the, at the time, even more so now. <laughs> that's great, though. World travel to do a competition like that. That's got to be so much fun. And you're right. We are going to get into that. And matter of fact, let's just go ahead and kick this pig. Tell us okay. your story and what got you into fishing. Well, I started, I, I, I wasn't, didn't fish as a young man. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid, I had way too much other stuff on my plate, especially growing up as a, a hippie child of the 70s. Uh, there were a lot of other things that I was interested in, in instead of fishing. But when I got into my 20s, I, I caught the bug. I started surf fishing and, uh, and really, really liked it. I, I, I cut my teeth down here in southeast North Carolina, uh, a stretch of beach. It's called Carolina Beach in Fort Fisher, about four miles of drivable beach. And, and I, I just really became hooked. Uh, we'd go down and actually go down and spend the night a lot of times, just which is pretty cool because this stretch of beach, Fort Fisher, is a famous Civil War battleground. And uh, and I, I, I'd be lying if I didn't say that I saw some rather creepy things out there in the middle of the night. But, hey, that's, that's, that's a story for a different podcast. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the, the obsession hit me in my twenties. I fished through my twenties into my thirties and, um, uh, I guess my mid thirties, myself and a good buddy of mine, a lifelong friend, we've been friends since fifth grade, competing in everything from little league baseball, arm wrestling, racing our muscle cars, chasing girls through high school. Uh, we were on the beach one evening and I threw a cast. He threw a cast. We both claimed victory. Uh, he said he threw farther. I said I threw farther. So the, the next week we met out in a field, local fairgrounds, and and Tony he proceeded to take my twenty dollars. We bet and and he won and he took he took my money, and that just kind of started a session. Uh, we found out there was an organization that put on tournaments. Decided to go give our hands a try, and um, I, I was I was not good. I, I started out. At best, middle of the pack. I mean, I think I threw like 450 feet or something and walked out to my sinker and watched guys literally walk 300 feet past me to get to their sinker. And I, I knew early on I either, I either needed to buckle down and learn how to do this or find another hobby. Um, so it, it quickly became an obsession that, that lasted many, many years. Uh, so that's that's kind of my, my backstory. Basically, a fisherman um, got started, became obsessed with distance, and just took it as far as I was able to take it. That's quite the trip to get there. Did you did you pick up a mentor along the way to help you with casting? Oh, I've had uh, quite a few mentors. I, I was I was actually lucky um, er, early on in the competitive casting side of it. I, I was that guy that just irritated the heck out of all the more experienced casters trying to gain knowledge. 
And early on, they really didn't want to give it up because they were afraid that giving that knowledge up would be basically providing somebody the tools needed to beat them. Um, so they didn't want to give it up. But 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 eventually they did. I, I got in their good graces and, and uh, I actually was mentored by several people here in the United States. Um, I'll throw a name out. Mr. Joe Moore helped me a lot. Uh, Jerry Valentine helped me a lot. Bill Kennedy. Um, and then I also uh, was lucky enough to be mentored. I went to a, a couple of seminars put on by some British guys who at the time and still are among the very best casters in the world. And uh, Peter Thane, Roger Mortimer, um, these guys took time with me. And uh, I guess I'd have to say Peter Thane, who was a British champion caster, was the one who first really saw potential in me and, and got it through my, my hard head how to actually use proper mechanics to execute a cast. It's not just about flailing as hard as you can. There's, there's a lot of mechanics that go into it. And uh, so, yes, I, I was lucky, uh, blessed to be mentored by some of the best casters in the world. Outstanding. I mean, I've, I've always said it, you know, when you get into a new industry, if it's something you like, get a mentor. There's nothing Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's one thing that, I, that I've tried to do, and I, and I still do it to this day. I made myself a promise back then in, in the late 1990s that if – I ever got good at this, that I was not going to be the guy to withhold information. So I, I, I freely spread it. I, I spread the word to whoever wants to listen and, uh, and wants to learn. That's awesome of you, sir. That's, and I mean, I'm very thankful that you do that. And I'm thankful for you being on the show to be able to share with that as well. <laughs> so Glad being, be you doing world travel, you, you've been up and down the East coast plenty of times. I've seen some of that. After all this time, what type of fishing do you like to do now? You know, I, I've done quite a bit of basic surf fishing. I used to fish mainly for bluefish and sea mullet and table fare. And then in 1996, I think it was, uh, on my very first trip to Cape Hatteras to Cape Point. I'm, I don't know if you're familiar, but it's a, it's a very famous surf fishing spot. My buddies and I got up early because we had heard there was a drum bike the previous morning. We got up early, like 3 a.m., went out to Cape Point, got on the beach about 4, and I had an old pin power stick and a big old spinning reel. I think it was like an 8,500 spinning pin, and uh, my very first cast into the ocean at Cape Point, I caught a 45-inch drum. So I was pretty much ruined. I was done. I, I was toast, and uh, that started – an obsession which I still have today, which is drum fishing. That, that's the type of fishing that I like to do. If if you see me on the beach fishing for sea mullet or, or small table fare, what I'm doing is fishing for bait. I, I'm 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 catching the smaller smaller fish. Sea, sea mullet are great. Yeah, I think you call them whiting. They go by many names. Uh, whiting, sea mullet. There, there's they're they're known by kingfish. They're known by quite a few names. But if you see me fishing for those, I'm fishing for bait. That that's to cut them up and put them on for a drum <laughs> <laughs> but hey you have a plan after all that experience so totally yep. understand that one right there yeah what is your favorite thing about fishing um to me at this point it's the challenge and the thrill of landing a big red drum now typically that's done in the morning in the evening um during the day it's a relaxing sport um hobby whatever you want to call it uh you can sit out on the beach in a chair 
and just relax and chill with your friends. It's a, it's a great way to spend time. I really do enjoy all aspects of it. Um, relaxing on the beach and then being in the battle. Um, we, we call it the Congo line at, at Cape Point. There, there can be, there might be 10 people fishing on this little piece of real estate, or there might be 200 people fishing on this little piece of real estate. And, uh, and it's really, it's like a, it's, it's almost like a orchestra or a dance. Um, when, when everything's working well, it's a beautiful thing, but it only takes one or two people that are throwing, not, and you're probably going to hear me say this later in the podcast, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Um, but, you know, if, if everybody's throwing eight ounces and bait and it's drifting slowly, throw eight ounces and bait and, and drift slowly. Don't don't be the guy with a, with a two-drop bottom rig and four ounces of bait tangling everybody up. But uh, but that that is, is, is the thrill for me, is landing a big drum and relaxing and uh, targeting the big fish. Sounds like a lot of fun. And the pictures I've ever seen of Cape Point throughout Hatteras have always been a uh-uh, a shoulder to shoulder going after oh. it. it. But everybody works well together, it looks like. Yep. And th- that's the thing. And and a lot of the guys, you, you've got two different groups really of people. You've got the what I'll I'll call the locals or the experienced guys who who absolutely know what they're doing. And it doesn't take long when you step out there to be able to pick these guys out. Um and, and and just quickly on, on advice for people that, and it's not just Cape Point, it's anywhere. But when you step to a new location and you're trying to figure it out, don't don't be that guy that just busts out there and 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 tries to show your way is right. When in Rome, do as the Romans do: watch, observe, learn. And uh, you know, a couple of hours spent just standing there or sitting in a chair watching can be very very valuable. And uh, you know, just 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 watch, learn, and observe great advice and hopefully hopefully when you all take that to heart especially when you're going <laughs> to a new fishery doesn't hurt to learn before you start playing yep with all the traveling that you've done and all the great things that you've played with in fishing what is a bucket list fish that you want to catch in life um tarpon that's a fish i've never caught i've never caught a tarpon it's something i want to do um uh, I, I would love to, to hook up land and get pictures with a hundred pound tarpon. That's just, it's kind of a goal. It's just not, it's, it's unfulfilled at this point. I think I've hooked them, but I've never put it on the beach. <laughs> <laughs> I hear they're quite the challenge to get to the beach as it is. Yeah, so. that's, that's what, that's what they say. I can't speak from experience because it's, it's just not, not been on my, I've not done it. Very nice, sir. This is one's kind of a weird one, and I'm very interested how you're going to answer it because you have done a lot of travel. Where would be a dream place for you to fish that you haven't been yet? Mexico, probably fishing for a rooster fish. That's something that's all that's right there with tarpon on my bucket list of fish I want to catch and haven't done. But I, I think based on I had an opportunity about 10 years ago and I had it was a conflict of scheduling. I couldn't do it. Um but I, I wish I had gone. I wish I had gone and done that because, the, the, you know, the, the, crew, the group, the guys that, that asked me to go were successful. And just the whole, you know, the whole thing of getting on a, you know, a little four-wheeler and, and, you know, going however many miles down the beach to find the spot and landing a fish. It, it, it's just a, it's a bucket list item, too. Well, I look forward to seeing the post there because it sounds like you're already, <laughs> yes, this will happen. And I may make this. I hope that it does. Yes. Yep. <laughs> Well, this one's going to be a little bit of a challenger for you, I think. What has been your favorite fishing memory? Well, that's that's really pretty easy. When, when 
I started going to Cape Hatteras in the 1990s. Uh, and I was in my 30s. I've got a brother who's who's older than I am. He's 16 years older than I am, uh, and a cousin who is his age. They were they were like brothers growing up, and I was much younger. Was never in with them because I was a kid. Uh, by the time you know they were graduating from high school, I was three years old. I mean, I was just I was just a boy. But uh, spending time at Cape Hatteras fishing with my brother and cousin and the other guys that came in our group, because we had six or eight guys. We'd run a big big house, go fishing every fall. Uh, and, and just to have that opportunity to bond and, and get to spend time with and know my brother and my cousin uh, really is probably, they're probably some of the fondest memories that I have. It was, uh, it was really, really good times. And they were in, you know, typically we'd all, we'd all pile in, chip in and rent a, big old oceanfront house and, and sit on the deck and, and drink till 3 a.m. And, and those, you know, those, those memories are, are very as, as clouded and foggy as they are. They were, they were great times. <laughs> that sounds like a lot of fun. Well, we're going to move yeah. into the, uh, the fun part of the show here of getting the knowledge. Okay. So this is the tips, right. tricks, and knowledge piece. Uh, right. And this is about your personal fishing, however you'd like to answer it. So let's mm -hmm. start at the very beginning. You're going to go fishing. Yeah. How do you plan your fishing trip? Okay, it used to be, uh, back in the day, back the, the days I was describing in the 90s, we would take our best shot at a week out of the year. We would pick a week, usually late October, early November, rent a house. We, were, we did it months in advance, so we were at the mercy of the weather gods, you know, what we had when we got there. Um, I've evolved quite a bit. You know, my business now um, kind of revolves around trips to the beach, but... What I do now, I still, in, in the fall, I'll rent a house there for a month, basically move to Hatteras, set up shop, do my thing uh, while I'm there. Uh, in the spring, typically, I, I watch several things. Uh, number one, you know, start with the time of year, spring or fall. Um, water temperature. Water temperature is very important, especially if you're chasing red drum. You want to, in, in, in the spring, 63 degrees or so rising temperature. It's where you want to go. And then in the fall, it's the opposite. When, the, when, when it starts dropping and gets into the set low 70s, that's really when the drum fishing uh, starts. Also, very important are wind direction and tides. Um, typically, where I fish at Cape Point, um, southwest wind is king. That's what rules there because of the way that the, the uh, geography and the, and the shape of the beach is at that point that, that pushes the the warmer water in and brings the fish and the, the bait and then the fish in. Um, so, uh, yeah, and then tides. Tides are important, too. The, um, my personal favorite is, is falling tide. And if you can catch that near dawn or dusk, in other words, if you're an hour before dusk and you hit high tide, you're catching that falling tide uh, through dusk or through dawn. That to me, has historically been the best. Now, does, is, is that hard and dry, uh, cut and dry? No. I mean, I've called them on low tide. I've called them rise and fall, and it doesn't really matter. But if you're playing the odds, high tide falling around dusk um, or dawn is going to be your best your best opportunity, especially when the water, water temperature is right and the wind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the that piece it's always a, a trifecta it never never seems to fail but absolutely it's, uh, 
it, it's been interesting learning about the tides on the East Coast side. Um, I fish Jacksonville and, you know, up and down that side when I go to tournaments. And I've talked to a lot of people on the Atlantic side that always said tide, 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 tide. Yep. They, they do yep. not. Y'all don't mess around with the tides. It's bottom two, top two, bottom two, top two. And yep. it's always it just depends. It, it depends on what, what um, you know, what you're restricted to. A lot of times if you're there with family and friends and uh, one thing that, that, that hits me a lot, I don't, I don't mind fishing at night. And, uh, you know, especially if that high tide is falling right at or after dark, those few hours after the sun goes down is often the best time. But then, you know, sometimes you have family restraints and people want to go get dinner. People want to do this, that, and the other, and, and it kind of pulls you away. But, but, but if it's strictly, if it's strictly fishing, uh, yes, tide, tide and wind direction at, at Cape point, it cannot be stated <clears throat> strongly enough how important that Southwest wind is. It, it really, really is. And <clears throat> guys will watch, excuse me, just say, guys will pay attention to the winds. <clears throat> and when you get that southwest wind that sets up, blows a day, gets your attention, blows the second day con uh, consecutively, really gets your attention. If it's more, third day, they're on the beach because it's had enough time to set in and push the bait and the fish in. And, uh, you know, it's, it's cool because you can, you, can, you can watch these schools of fish. And one of the more frustrating things is when you're on the beach and you see the birds working and you can see the water boiling red and gold from from these drum you can see it and you just can't quite reach it that's that's frustrating but if you got patience they'll come in that sounds extremely uh yeah that that's that would be top five for frustration for me right there that, oh yeah it's, it's not fair <laughs> yeah then, then you start then that's when you start trying to cast harder not smarter and you end up blowing your reels up Yep. Uh, <laughs> it's bad. <laughs> well, it has been 22 minutes here, ladies and gentlemen. So you know what that means. It's time for you to make sure your bait's still good. This bait check is being brought to you by Ninja Tackle. Go over to ninjatackleva.com and take a look at all those fun ninja dagger rods. You guys know I love them. I've got the seven footers. I got a couple of those that I use for inshore and I use at the beach to throw Lots of fun there, all the way up to 12-footers. He's got different ones in between. The 8.6 has been on fire in the Panhandle region lately, catching Jack Craval right from there, throwing lures. It's a great series. Need to get rigs? Yep, Matt's got them in there as well. Or if you're into firearms, Ninja Tactical. He's got you set up there for any kind of Glock accessories, other firearm pieces. NinjaTackleVA.com. Go take a look at all the fun stuff, and you won't be disappointed. So now that we've talked about that with your planning of your trip, let's move into the spot location. Spots yeah. are very important, and I know with the Cape, uh, you've definitely got holes and you've got all the pieces there. But how do you? What do you look for when you're picking a spot to fish? Okay, uh, I'm gonna step away from Cape Point because Cape Point is okay. you're not really reading the beach. You, there, yeah. there, is, there are nuances, there are cuts and sloughs and bars, but basically you go to the right hand side. If you got a, a right to left drift set up, you throw out and you walk with the bait. Uh, keeping it in front of you. So it kind of takes that out of the equation. But if I'm on the beach and I'm looking for a place to fish, I'm going to ride the beach at low tide. Okay, low tide is key because you can see the structure. You can see the cuts in the bar. You can see the sloughs. You can see how many bars you're dealing with. Sometimes uh, here in North Carolina, it's typically two. I know in Texas, sometimes they go three bars deep. 
down on the Gulf Coast in Texas. But you want to find structure. You want to look for kind of kind of the holy grail. And it's what swimmers are scared to death of is what draws surf fishermen in. That's the riptide. That what that is indicative of is a break in the bar. It's a cut in the sandbar. It's a gate. It's a door. It's a highway in and out from the deeper water into the slough along uh, along the beach. So you want to find that cut in the bar. And, and the only way you're going to do that really is riding the beach at low tide. Now, now you can, when there's a little much water in there, if you're patient, you can ride the beach, carefully observing the beach, looking at the sandbar zone. If you're riding along and there's, there's waves breaking, 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 and breaking over here, and you see an area that's dead, there's no waves breaking, stop and observe. Watch it for five minutes. If it's continuously, no waves breaking, that's deep water. That's the cut in the bar. That's where you want to set up. It takes a little more time and a little more observation when the water's deeper than it does um, at low tide. Because at low tide, a lot of times you can see it clearly. Um, but but you can still find it. But finding that break in the bar is key. Um, so I'm not sure the beaches in Florida, I don't know how much riding you can do on the beach. But in North Carolina, there's quite a bit that you can. And that is one of the best tools at your disposal is get in a truck ride you know with gps you can put in coordinates and, and, and know where to come back at high tide if you want or just find the spot set up and stay and uh and just enjoy it so one of the videos that you posted uh for the north you were fishing the north carolina beach buggy association tournament last year okay and you were changing locations and driving down the beach and you you stopped at one and there weren't too many people fishing. And you said that in your video, you're like, hmm, surprised nobody else is down here. Um, but yeah. you had really broken down a great rip current, uh, breaks in the bars. And you were just talking, look, I would fish here, 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 and here. And you gave all that information in that video. Yeah, I was judging. I, I was actually uh, judging uh, on the, in the tournament at, at that point in time. And when you're judging, you're basically on free time until you get a call. Then you got you got to scurry on down to where the fish has been caught. But I, I was just riding the beach, and I know I saw what what you know looked to me to be just a outstanding spot. So I, I just stopped and gave a little tutorial on on what I see, and and what you can what you can look for and find because what you see at low tide versus what is there or, or visible at high tide is completely different. And if you don't know it's there, then you you you'll ride right by it and never and never see it. And it could be a potential um, really good spot productive spot to fish and, and when you find those cuts in the bar and i'm sure we'll get to that in in a bit but when you find it you've got a slough running i call it a slough a, a cut or a gut what do you want to call it running parallel to the beach sometimes no more than 20 feet out 30 feet out you've got that that parallel um slough then you've got the you've got the cut in the bar what i like to do if i'm if i'm hunting if i'm searching for fish i'll throw one one side or the other of the cut in that slough. No more uh, short rod, short cast in, in the slough. I'll put a second bait in the mouth of the cut, one side or the other typically, and then I'll bomb one. I'll, I'll let it rip. I'll, I'll cast it as far as I can to the back side of the bar and because typically that's where the predator fish are hanging out, waiting for the bait fish coming in and out of that slough. So, uh, and then you can, you can narrow that down. I always leave a long rod out, always leave it out. And if you, uh, 
then you can kind of see whether they're more hanging in close uh, in the slough or whether the fish are more active in and out of the cut. Um, so it's really just a matter of, of spreading the baits out, finding where the fish is productive. Yeah, you already led us right into the next one there. About I did. I looked down and realized that, that, I, that I had another note I've got here is uh, about about casting. And, and I've had people tell me so many times, they'll say, Tommy, we appreciate what you do, but it's kind of a waste because the fish are always at your feet. They're right there. They're in that first slew. Well, that, that is not necessarily the case. Your numbers, your production numbers are going to be higher in that slough. You're going to catch more small fish. But if, if you don't have the capability to cast far, okay, if that tool is not in your tackle box, you're never going to know. Uh, the, the fish can be there, and you won't know they're there until a long caster shows up and bows up. You don't, you don't, you don't even know the fish are there until somebody gets there who can reach those fish. I've got a story, um, I don't know, it was probably six or seven years ago now. I was at Cape Point. Uh, it was not a very productive day. There wasn't a real good drift set up left to right. There was probably 15 people standing on the point proper. This is a dynamic place. It changes shapes all the time. I mean, sometimes it's a nub, sometimes it's a long, skinny point. This was a long, skinny point. There was about 15 guys standing on the end. I walked right up there. And uh, said my hellos and just just bombed one out. I hit it as hard as I could. And as I was walking back, letting the slack out of my out of my reel, getting a little bit of overrun out, I was I came to the end of the conga line. There was an old timer standing there, and, and he was belly laughing. He was laughing hard. And uh, he said, "You know, you just overcast, uh, overthrew all the fish, don't you?" And nobody was catching anything. Now these guys, they were just talking. There was no catching going on. Uh, he said, you know, you just you just threw past all the fish, don't you? I said, maybe so. I said, I don't know. And boom, no sooner had the words gotten out of my mouth <coughs> pardon, that, that I hooked up. And, and I landed a nice puppy drum, probably 26, 28 inches long, and, um, and, and proceeded to catch drum on 13 out of the next 14 cats. I caught, caught drum, 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 drum. Nobody else was catching anything. <coughs> pardon a friend of mine, uh, another guy, good fisherman, good caster, uh, named Ryan Young, he steps up and, and he said, Tommy, he said, is anything going on? I said, there's a hole out there. I said, you got a bomb to get to it. He threw one out, boom, immediately he, he, he hooked up. Ryan and I were catching fish. This went on for, I don't know, however long it took to throw 14 casts, maybe an hour or, or, or so. Before that was over, these same guys, the guy that was laughing, was saying, will you please cast for me? <laughs> will you will you take my rod? Will you please cast for me? Because they couldn't reach it. So the moral, really, the moral of the story is, uh, you need to check. You need to test the waters. You need to test short, medium, and long. If you don't have the the capability or the tool in your tackle box to throw long range, then you won't even know the fish are there. I mean, they can be there laughing at you, and and you don't even you don't even know it. So uh, so it is a. When people ask me about distance and how important it is, I tell them it's just another tool. Uh, it's like your favorite lure, your favorite bait, your favorite reel. It's just something else in your tackle box that will help increase your ratio with the added bonus that often the bigger fish are out there at range. Yeah. The, the, I'm trying not to like be giddy about this because I've seen it 
it's there are so many times that I've seen like if we're all fishing normal range, short, medium, long, and then next thing you know, you got that one guy that can do the super cast. <laughs> and yeah, he picked it up. So that actually happened the other day with uh when I was fishing with Chip. He was down here and mm-hmm. uh I wasn't getting my long cast in. I've unfortunately lost a little bit of my cast distance uh with my lack can, of fishing. I can help you. <laughs> I, can, I can help you <laughs> i'll take it um but chip you know chip was launching it and he was he was yep. he got a limit um I, I was a bit short and i also had a bad bad read but it didn't matter either way um but yeah even one just one can be that difference maker yep. super long absolutely it can and you don't know you, like i said you don't know what you don't know and if they're out there and you can't reach them you don't know so it makes it easy for that guy that says you're wasting your time and effort because they're always right at your feet. It's an easy excuse for him because he doesn't he he can't reach them, so he doesn't know. Right. Yeah. Well, you talked about the casting, so let's move into the rigs. Now I know, like you said, you like going after the drum. That is your yep. happy. That that is your one there. What type of rigs do you use, and how do you set it up? Uh, as far as a rig, it's pretty basic. I use a drum rig. There's two, there's two types. There's a standard drum rig, and then there's one that's called a cannonball rig, uh, which is basically a ba- your, your standard drum rig with just a, a stretch about three foot long of, uh, of heavy mono um, that you use as kind of an additional shock leader. Um, to, uh, and, and it allows you to, to it, it, number one, it eliminates the need to use beads, um, and it also allows you to really hit the cast without worry. Uh, without worry about snapping off. Uh, so uh, as far as, as as rigs for drum, it's going to be your basic Carolina-style drum rig. Um, now, if I'm sea mullet fishing, uh, I'm going to use a basic two-drop bottom rig, maybe a bead, maybe not, depending on, you know, spawning season and whether, you know, there's there's row out there or not. Uh, but, you know, a two-drop bottom rig is it can be successful in many, many applications, smaller hooks and, yeah. I'm glad you that last part, the smaller hooks thing, because I wanted to ask you about the hooks. So you normally, uh, you know, I go drum fishing. I hear different people will say, oh, you need a nine aught or you need a six aught. You need a 10 aught. You, you want these big hooks because big fish, big bait, all those pieces. On the double drop, totally understand what you're talking about with the smaller ones there. I normally fish with a size six or a one aught, yeah. depending on the day. Yeah. Uh, what do you all use up there? Well, it, it now I, I will freely confess to what I'm good at and what I'm not. I am not an expert uh, uh, sea mullet fisherman because I, it's just not something I spend a lot of time doing unless I'm hunting for bait. Now, a smaller two or four uh, hook uh, is what most guys use. And and there's a, uh, a guy that, that makes rigs for me that I sell on my web store, sells one called a river rig, um, which I can grab right quick if you want to see one, but it's just a basic hand-tied uh, rig using smaller hooks. Uh, they are, uh, they're, they're, they're very successful here. I sell quite a few of them. What's the name so I can link it back and people can look for it in your shop. Give me three seconds. Sure. sure. So this is the fun part about cameras, ladies and gentlemen, we can do it this way. It's not like the regular podcast where you have to pause it. Hey, yeah. I'm back. <laughs> All right. What do we got here? It's called a river rig. Oh, lone and, and the okay. reason it's not for fishing in the rivers, the guy who actually came up with this, um, his nickname is River. That's what they call him. And he started fishing this, and he was very successful when many others were not. But this is uh, it's called a long-range river rig. 
Uh, number four hooks. See if I can get it in there close where you can see. Yep, can you see yep. that? Yep, see it good. Yep, yep. I've got them, got them on my web store. They're very, very good for for uh, sea mullet, pompano, what I call panfish. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I've got a complete line of rigs that I sell on my web store. So, um, so yeah, that that's going to be uh, my choices of rigs are going to be drum rigs or basic two drop bottom rig uh, for for the smaller fish. Okay. And what about for, so with the drum, the Carolina rig, what size hook do you recommend? Well, it's funny. Hook sizes are going to vary. Uh, eight all um, in one manufacturer is going to be different from another. Uh, uh, Eagle Claw versus a Gamagatsu, they're not necessarily the same, but I'm typically fishing eight, alt, or nine, uh, depending on, on the hook. I, I want a big enough hook that, that a large drum, and, you know, here we're talking 50-plus pound fish, um, is, 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 is not going to get lost in there. <laughs> you know, he's, he's going to, he's going to feel it. And, uh, so, so yeah, I, that, and I know guys that fish tens, there are guys that fish tens there are guys that fish smaller and, 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 it, and it's, you know, you can have success either way, but, but just based on experience, that's, that's what I have found to be best. Understood on that. So when the Cogo line, cause it is good current down there in North Carolina does have very fast moving tides and lots of good pieces. Yep, we there. Do. Let's talk about the lead at the bottom of the line here. What kind of sinkers okay. do you like to use, and what have you found to be the successful ones in the North Carolina region for you? I've been doing this a long time, and I've seen it kind of uh, ebb and flow. Uh, I, I have always been and still am a pyramid sinker kind of guy. Now, one thing that came in it was really popular for a long time was what they call the frog tongue sinkers, kind of flattish, funny, funny, a little bit funny shape, and, and they were okay. But uh, when you're fishing a drift, and this is, this is the important thing, not so much as what your sinker is, but back to the when in Rome, do as the Romans do kind of thing. Look, observe, see what everybody else is throwing. Typically at Cape Point, it's an eight and bait kind of thing. If there's current set up, if current's moving, eight and bait. Now, if, you're, if, if everybody else is throwing eight ounces and you step up with a five-ounce Sputnik, Okay, everybody's throwing eight ounces and slowly drifting, slowly drifting, walking and staying in front of their line, which is critically important. You throw a five-ounce Sputnik out there and it sticks. Now everybody else is drifting along and running into your line, stopping, and then when one person reels up, you have got a a cluster uh, of epic proportions. You might have four, five, six guys tangled up and one guy, poor guy out there with a flashlight trying to untangle all this stuff to the point that he gets frustrated and starts cutting. Um, so so the, the important thing is not so much what you are doing, what your preference of sinker is, is to match what everybody else is using, especially in a drift type circumstance. Uh, don't be that guy. Everybody's fishing eight and bait. Don't be that guy that jumps out there with a four ounce, uh, two drop bottom rig and shoot straight down the beach and then reel in without what you know and, and even if you're if you throw it and this this is something else that gets people when you cast out you don't cast necessarily straight if you're in a conga line and you cast far and you cast left it's not a problem you might cast over four people all you got to do is walk behind those four people and insert yourself in the line at that point so you're you're not above or below anybody else and uh just just find your place in line and then stay with the drift. It's a, it, it's a thing of beauty. It's, it's like a choreographed dance almost when it's working right. 
And when it's not, it's a train wreck. I'd seen the Congo line. I did not know about the other part with the drift. I oh, yeah. yeah, that yeah well, that's, and and if, if, it's, if it's not drifting, if there's no drift, there's typically not a Congo line because the people who know, know that you need that right to left southwest wind drift set up to really be productive. Now, you might catch a, a straggler, catch a stray drum, but as far as the schools coming in, it, it's probably not going to happen unless you have those conditions. And when you have those conditions, you have to be able to, you got to be able to process it, cast, and then move. You keep, keep the line, keep slack out of your line, keep, keep your line taut. And as it rolls and as it drifts, you just stay right with it. And it's, it's like you, you, you start at the right, you drift. It might take you five minutes to, to drift the whole way. It might take you 15. Uh, and when you get to the other end, when you get to the point proper, you reel in, walk back to the other end of the line and start over. And uh, it's uh, – so it's, it's, it's pretty cool. But I, I do fish pyramids. I have found, if I'm looking for it to stick, uh, a three-sided pyramid sticks better than a four-sided pyramid. That's because it's got more flat surface area. Um, four-sided tends to roll a little bit more, uh, a little quicker. Uh, the frog tongues, they, they drift. They don't drift quite as fast because they got the more pancake flip as they're going through. So it just takes a – it just takes a – to t- just takes practice and experience to know which is going to work better for you. But if I'm out there and, and 90% of the guys are throwing eight ounce uh, four-sided pyramids, I'm going to throw an eight ounce four-sided pyramid. I might cheat, throw a seven because that allows me to get out past them. And then I'm not involved in the tangles and the fray. So but I, I'm drifting faster. So I'm walking behind these guys holding my rod up. So it, it, it just, uh, it just depends. But, but in, in most cases, again, I'll say it when in Rome, do as the Romans do. Don't try to reinvent the wheel there. And, and don't. And another thing, and this is this is a different kind of a different topic. But at, at Cape Point, don't don't be the guy that steps out there with braided line. And, and I'm oh, not I'm not cracking on braided this. line. I'm, I, sure. Braided line is it has its absolutely has its place, and that's in most fishing fishing situations <clears throat> with a spinning reel. Uh, braided line is great, but just not there. And the reason why is tangles are inevitable. You are going to tangle with your fellow anglers. And if, you, if you're that guy and, and, and you, you're fishing braid in line and you get in a little bit of a tangle, and then you think you, you might not even have a fish. You might think you got one of these other guys might have a fish, or it might be somebody down there yanking on their line because everybody's tangled up, and you rear back with, with, with braid in line, you're going to start cutting mono like hot butter, like a knife through hot butter, and, and, and you won't. Let's just say you will not be a popular guy. So, I, I've I've heard. Uh, so Matt Poole had actually told me he's like, yeah, oh yeah, come up, we'll, we'll go out there. And yeah. Matt said you will take the braid off of your line. Yeah, yeah, you, you, yeah, 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 you won't you won't be a popular guy. And uh, but, but yeah, yeah, and I'll extend the same offer if you want. If you, if you want to go fishing Cape Point, I'm I'll, I'll I can I can hook you up. I just want to fish North Carolina, uh, and, and thankfully I'm going to be here pretty soon. So that's <laughs> I am all for that piece. <laughs> well, this is actually working out well in our timing because now we're at 43 minutes, ladies and gentlemen, which means it is time for another bait check. It's the second bait check of the episode, and hopefully you've caught a bunch of fish by now. Hopefully you're having the best day out fishing, because that's what we all want for you. That's what we really care about. This bait check is being brought to you by DS Custom Tackle. And over to DS Custom Tackle and take a look at the different style of equipment that they have. Hooks, got them to buy plenty. You can get them in bulk orders if you want. Beads, 
floats, no problem. Jigs, teasers, he's got them all in there. Lots of good pieces to get your hands on uh, through the website. If you're a rig maker and you're looking to par partner up with somebody to get wholesale pricing on that, reach out to DS Custom Tackle and see if they've got something available for you. DSCustomTackle.com, get your order in today. So when we've talked about the sinkers, we've nailed in the big pieces there. And, and I can see what you're saying about the three, the three-sided not doing as much I've seen uh, with the wobble there and the pancake with that one. Um, and you primarily go pyramid. Have you seen some people just like, look, they're die hard for a bank or a cannonball or, you know, it, this sinker is what I've got to use when you're in that sort of situation in North Carolina fishing, especially shoulder to shoulder. Is it everybody tries to stay to the same style or is it just within the same parameters? At, at, when, you're, when you're at the point, when you're at Cape Point, you, you need to be on the program. You need to be doing what everybody else is doing. Now, once you step away, and when I say away from Cape Point, you can be 100 yards right or south or 100 yards north of the conga line and you can fish what you want. You're not, it's not going to be a problem because you're not going to cause tangles and, and issues with other fishermen. Um, so if you, if, if you like a, a bank sinker, if you really want a lot of motion and rolling with your, with your, uh, sinker bank, bank sinker is fine. Uh, Sputnik sinker. If you want, if, if your gear is not really set up to throw the heavy weights, but you still need it to stick, throw a five ounce Sputnik sinker. It's going to grab as well as an eight ounce pyramid would stick. Um, so, you know, once you're away from the crowd, you can pretty much do what you want. And one thing that I've learned is that people, fishermen, have very strong opinions about what works for them and what, what works and what doesn't work. And what, what I've learned is that they're not wrong. If it works for them, then, then there's nothing wrong with what they're doing. Um, I, I like it when people are, are open-minded enough to continue to learn. I, I, I've been doing this a long time, and, and I, I try to learn something every time I go out. There are, uh, there are guys at uh, – at Cape Point, there's some of the best surfish. My opinion, there's some of the best surf fishermen in the world that fish that spot. And when I say in the world, it's for that type of surf fishing, for that specific right. type. I mean, there's guys out there who can really, really cast, who really knows, know how to read the water. Um, and, and to this day, I watch those guys. I observe. I, I see what they're doing and what can I do to, uh, to improve my catch? What can I do to get better? There's one guy. I'm not going not not going into names, but there, there's a guy who is who is well known for uh, for for drum fishing. There's a little competition. They call it the man. It's unofficial, but at the end of the year, the man who has the most drum, you you you're it. You're that guy. You're that guy for the year. Um, but but I watched this guy, and, and he had this little habit where every time that he was getting ready to cast, he'd walk out to the water. Take, take a little bit of salt water in his right hand and, and just splash it on his reel. And, and, I, and I watched him. And, and again, I'm going to say he's one of the best fishermen that I've ever known. And I watched this guy and I watched it. And, and a lot of people look at him as unapproachable because he's kind of up, up a little bit of on a pedestal. But, but I walked up to him. I said, dude, I said, I said, I got to know. I said, I do everything in my power to keep salt water off of my equipment. I don't want to touch it. And, and I said, but I watch you. You do this every time. He just laughed. He busted out laughing. He said, Tommy, he said, he said, it's just habit. He said, I like my line wet. He said, I don't want, I don't like casting dry, which I'm the opposite. I want it as dry as it can be so I can get the best grip I can. But uh, he said, it's strictly a habit. He said, there's no reason for it. So, you know, 
and, and the point being that I don't care who you are, you can learn. And and if you shut your mind down and you don't and you think you know everything, that's 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 when you stop growing. And in the, I'm I'm I mean not pointing fingers at any angler individually, but we have bad habits of that in this industry. Of I know what I'm doing, I'm good. Oh yeah, there's too yeah, many yeah. people that won't adjust, and you gotta be you gotta be flexible in this. It oh, only you, make you better. You can only make you better, and then and then it's up to you to call the information if you. If you think that this is 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 worthy, and you think that this is is good information, then go with it. Add it add, add it to your tackle box. Add it to your arsenal, uh, and then you know you can always discard what doesn't prove to work for you. You know if it don't if it doesn't work, don't do it. If if it works for you, then hey, you you you've added a skill. Well, when we've been talking about the travel and pieces, let's move into this one here. Okay. If you're going to go fish somewhere new, what uh, what do you do for planning to get out there and fish? Okay, uh, I'm going to take it as kind of we talked about already. Uh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to read the beach. I, I'm going to I'm going to use if, if I don't have local knowledge, if I don't have somebody there to guide or to help me to understand the fishery, um, then I, I'm going to I'm going to go. I'm going to default to what I know. I'm going to try to, to get on the beach at low tide. I'm going to try to find that spot. I'm going to find that cut because that's going to uh, immediately, that's going to increase your odds. If you've got a, if you've got a gate, a door, a, a super highway coming from the backside of the bar into the slough, you, your odds go up immediately. Um, so I'm, I'm going to use that knowledge. I'm going to try different baits. I'm going to hit the local tackle shops. I'm going to say, look, I said, you know, I'm, I'm not, I, as the old saying goes, I ain't from around here. I, I, I need some help. Will you tell me what I need to do? And, uh, and and what I found is that almost any tackle shop that you go into, they are willing to help. Most of the guys want to talk. Most of the guys want to to freely give information. Now, every now and then you run into a tackle shop that they're gonna they're gonna tell you whatever you need to hear to spend more money. But but for the most part, these guys just want to help you. Yeah, I'm loving that about tackle shops nowadays. I haven't I've only gone into one where I was like, you know, you really want to ring the register? All right, we can do this. I got time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the last one before we start, move our last two questions, and then we'll move into the casting piece here. How do okay. you adjust your tactics for fishing when the bite isn't on fire? Okay. Uh the number one uh thing for me is to be mobile. Uh if if it's needed, don't be afraid to change. As you as you as you're riding up the beach and you're picking these sloughs, often There'll be a cut, 100 yards cut, 150 yards, another cut, and you and you you've taken your best guess when you were reading the beach at what's going to be the most productive. Well, if you're there and the fish aren't there, uh, you can't catch them if they ain't there. Um, <laughs> and so so don't be afraid to move to that next cut that you've already scoped out. You know you know it's there. Um, don't don't be afraid um, to make that to make that change. Um, so. Uh, don't be mobile, but also what we talked about earlier in setting your bait short, medium, and long. Utilize that. You, you've got to be flexible. If it change baits, for goodness sakes, if you, I, I've been out there before, and 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 my favorite. We're going to get into this, but I, I like cut mullet. That's what I like, especially the cob size mullet. We call them cob mullet, size of a corn cob. Um, I, that's my favorite bait. But if it's not working, it's not working. Um, you know, try try shrimp. Try uh, up here, you can often get menhaden. Try try a different bait. 
throw out your light rod, catch whatever is out there on shrimp or sand fleas, catch whatever small fish are out there. Here it's going to be uh, uh, sea mullet, Virginia mullet, um, uh, croaker. Croaker's a really good bait. Um, cut it up. Throw it out. See, match the hatch, as they say. Um, just don't be, don't get shoehorned into, doggone it, this is how I do it, this has got to work. Be flexible. Change, change tactics if needed. Change Excellent. locations, change tactics. Excellent. Excellent pieces right there. All right, so uh, on your paper, I know that it is backwards here. We're going to do this one, and then we'll get into the casting. So with seasonals there in the Carolinas, um, obviously, we, we deal with the same thing in Florida. You know, too hot, fish don't want to play. Too cold, fish don't yep. want to play. Yep. You got to find those middle grounds. And you mentioned water temperature and wind on that. Yep. Have, have you noticed what is your high season and what is your, this is horrible, we're not fishing season? Yeah, uh, for me, it's, it's pretty cut and dry. Now it can change. It can vary by weeks, depending on, you know, uh, outside air temperature, whether we've got a cold snap, hot summer, cold winter. But for me, uh, Cape at, at Cape Hatteras, um, Sometime in often you'll have a drum run in March, um, mid to late March. That'll be early. Then it'll die off, pick up significantly in April uh, and into and sometimes through May. So basically spring. Uh, spring is a great time up here. The, uh, the fish, the, the bites are more intense, uh, uh, more, uh, a, a lot more fish are caught very quickly up here in the spring than in the fall. So, but, but then again, it's, it's, it's water temperature and wind direction. In the, in the spring, you get a lot of southwest wind, and as that water temperature is rising, the fish come in, they start to bite and feed. Uh, fall, it's kind of the opposite. September uh, can be okay. You've got to really pick your, your spot. Pardon me. You've got to pick your spots, and um, a lot of times further north, the north beaches are going to be more productive earlier in the season because the water cools off quicker the further north you go. And then as you advance on into October and into November, they tend to move down more toward Cape Point and Ocracoke, which is another great place to fish. Uh, so, again, for me, it used to be picking a week out of the year, just, just you know, doing, taking the best shot you could. But, but now I try to be a little more selective and go more based on tide, water temperature, and uh, wind direction. Good pieces of knowledge right there. Hopefully that helped you guys for if you're looking at planning to go to North Carolina. Now you have an idea of a little bit of a window. And one thing I do love about North Carolina fishery is it's a lot like here too. You get so many different species off there. I mean, yeah, oh, you yeah. get the mullet, the sea whiting, you know, you get pompano, you get blue, yep. uh, bluefish. Pompano have been hot here lately. I hadn't got yeah. into them. Before. They've been hot. Yeah. Big, big, nice Florida pompano is what I call them. There. They're a big, you know, two, three, four pounders. I've seen one. I think I saw one sixer. I was yeah, like, oh yeah, I think I saw that too. That's, that's a that's a nice fish. That that that's dinner for several. Definitely is. <laughs> oh, so much, so much cool stuff. But that's the fun thing about the Carolinas. You know, people instantly go, "Oh, you got to fish just the points." Like, no, all of the North Carolina shore is really decent there, there, fishing. There are a lot of people. There are a lot of people who either used to fish the point, got burnt out, don't want to do it anymore. There, there are a lot of people who, who will tell you, I'm not going there. I don't enjoy combat fishing. I don't want to do it. They rather find a stretch of beach somewhere out on the miles of beach that you can't access and drive on. They'll, they'll do what we've talked about. They'll ride the beach. They'll pick their spot. They'll find the cut. They'll find a slough and, and, and sit. They don't, they don't like the, the pressure and the intensity 
of fishing Cape Point because it is different. It's not as as again as the old saying goes, it ain't for everybody. And uh, and but but for me, I, I I personally love it. I love getting out there and getting in the middle of the mix, and and it's it it adds another layer to the challenge of the catch when you do it through. 50 or hundred people when, when you're, when you're the guy that lands a fish in a crowd like that or well, the absolute best. And this happened to me in April, there was really nothing going on. And, and there were guys and a lot, you'll see this at Cape point guys will stand at the ready. They'll, they'll stand along the beach, either at their truck with their rod baited up in their, in their, in their rod rack or holding their rod. They're just, they're socializing until that first fish is caught. And then it gets serious. Um, well, I was that guy out there. I was soaking bait. I, I, I had just got there and and talked to everybody. Nothing's happening. Nothing's going on. So I bomb, I bomb a cast out there, and it, it was almost a splash bite. It was on. I mean, as soon as it hit, I hooked up and landed. I think it was a forty-nine inch drum. It was a, it was a nice big fish. And uh, anyway, I landed the fish. As I was fighting the fish, I turned and looked back to my right, and what was one or two people fishing on this stretch of beach south of Cape Point, I looked and there must have been 75 people and I had already worked my way down. I was able to land the fish, but then I became the observer watching these guys and 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 and, and just a couple of more fish were caught. So I got my fish on the beach and I stepped back and watched. So I, I didn't there wasn't enough fish there for me to get back into that melee, but had there been fish, I would have been back in the mix. It was just a it was one of those freak things. But but the just the change from nobody fishing to everybody fishing on one fish caught was pretty cool. It's, it sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a unique place, and and if for for anybody who hasn't fished it, I, I recommend it highly. But do it with an open mind and willingness to learn and willingness to watch and observe before you jump out there. Great advice. Well, let's do the final bait check because we're going to get into some serious nitty gritty here when it comes to casting. So I like the way you do the bait checks. It's, it's like every 20 minutes, just like yep. fishing. You, you need 20 you to 30 and that's it. it. You yes, got you it. Do. And yep. I've had a lot of people mention that a part of the show. They're like, oh, 20 minute bait check. And it's like, good. Yep, yep. It, it, it got stuck in your mind. That's what I and, hope. Unless it's a mullet head, then I'll give it 45. <laughs> yeah, that, that's not moving anywhere. Yeah, definitely good. All right, let's knock this bait check out. This final paycheck of the episode is being brought to you by the Kids Can Fish Foundation. Go over to kidscanfish.net and take a look at the awesome programs that they are doing down there in St. Simons Island, Georgia with these kids. All of your donations, whether they're the charitable contribution or for the fishing, uh, the red running of the bulls fishing tournament that we held uh, this fall. All of that goes back in and they set up these camps for kids, cast net clinics, fishing clinics, rods, reels every kid learns something and goes home with gear and that is thanks to your contributions that do that so go over to kidscanfish.net take a look at all the fun things there if you're going to be at the tournament i will be there uh, smitty from smitty surf fishing will be there salty from salty's pompano rigs here in the panhandle us three we're all heading out there we're going to fish in the tournament we're very excited to be out there and we're glad to be a part of that the kids can fish family so go take a look at the website and hey if you're willing to come fish the tournament it's a lot of fun and it helps out these kids and like they always say more tackle boxes, less Xboxes. Good stuff. So now let's move into this beast. Let's get into it. Let's talk casting. Uh, you have the art uh, broken down into five fundamentals, and that was something you started telling me about. Let's break those down, and can you go through them for us? Okay. Um, when I when I started, uh, I've been 
teaching and casting lessons for probably uh, 15, 18 years now. And, and early on, it was just a kind of a hodgepodge of, of, of what I felt, what I, what I thought I was doing right. And, and it is an evolution over time. Um, and it took a while for me to actually become a good enough teacher to get my process across to people. But uh, I guess it's been five, four or five years ago now, I hired a uh, professional production group and, and we came up with a DVD and it's called The Comprehensive Guide to Powercasting. And, and, and in that DVD, uh, I've broken it down into what I consider to be five easy to follow fundamentals. And it doesn't matter your age, your your health, your conditioning. If you'll follow these five steps, I promise you that your distance is going to improve without additional effort. You're not going to have to cast harder to throw farther, if that makes sense. Um, and, and, and the way that I look at it, I kind of kind of start from the ground up. Um, to me, uh, fundamental number one, and it's number one for a reason, is your footwork. Um, if you are, and, and I, I'm an observer of people, I ride up and down the beach, and if, if somebody's baited up and they're getting ready to cast, I'm going to stop my truck, and I'm going to watch. I'm not watching to ridicule. I'm not watching to, to, to try to nitpick somebody. I just like to see what people do. You see a lot of things. You'll see that probably the classic of all is the guy that gets a run and start, and he's, he's like taking, jogging down to the beach and then, and then, and then throwing. Um, which, you know, and I understand the, 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 the somewhat twisted logic behind it, that if you got forward momentum going, it's going to help you get a little additional distance. But what it does is complicates your footwork to the point that you can never do the same thing twice. Um, so when I teach footwork, and, and I love to, to, to do these seminars and, and, and lessons out on the beach because I take a rod butt, and I draw a giant circle in the sand with it. Right? I'll stand, stand in one spot, draw a giant circle. And at the water, I write 12. And then I'll, I'll pencil in 9, 10, 11. It's a clock face. And, and this works extremely well until you get with the younger crowd who were raised digitally and have trouble reading a clock face. And then, then you got to, you got you, as they say, explain that, Lucy. You got you to explain it. Um, but you, or, you orient your footwork so that your right foot is at clock face center where the hands come together in the clock, okay? Your 12 o'clock is your target. So you place your left foot in line at 12 o'clock, okay? Shoulder width apart. Now, that's, that's going to give you your alignment to target. It's not the best footwork stance to start from. So if you take that left foot, and this is a right-handed cast, if you take that left forward foot, leaving the right foot at the center of the clock face, move it over to between 10 and 11. In other words, you're opening your stance like an open baseball stance to about 45 degrees. What this does, and I'll, I'll do my best to demonstrate. I can't really because you won't be able to see my feet. But this, this is the only prop that my wife will allow me to have. It's just a stick. That's all she'll let me have. But if, I'm, if, if I walk up to the water, can you see me okay? Yeah, yeah, you're good. If, if I walk up and I'm facing the water, straight ahead of me is 12 o'clock. Well, I'm on my, my right foot, I'm going to leave stationary, and I'm going to set my left foot in line with my target at 12 o'clock. Okay, now, this is this has got my alignment. This has got my directional target set. 
What I got to do now to be able to functionally move through the cast, I'm going to take my left foot, move it over to about 1030, anywhere between 10 and 11, basically 45 degrees off of your target. What this has done is allow me to open up and turn my body through to get my chest facing the target at the end of the cast. Okay. So it, it has opened me up and allows me to turn through. From here, I'm going to rotate back at my hips, get my arms in the right position, and, and, and without moving my feet. Now I'm not, I'm not going, I'm not jumping, I'm not stepping, I'm not moving either foot. I'm going to do a body weight transfer from 80% on my right to to at the end of the cast to 80% on my left. Kind of like a golf swing. I'm going to end up on that toe. But I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to rotate through and finish the cast. Okay. So my feet don't move. I have a body weight transfer. I'm here with my weight on my right foot. As I turn through, my chest is going to rotate to the target. My body weight's going to go to my left. My right foot in an ideal situation, my right toe will be barely touching the sand. Kind of like a golf swing when they end up on that back foot over the toe. But you want to get through without taking a step. Now, if you take a step, this is one of the biggest flaws in casting, period. Even guys that are good do this. They'll hit and they'll step through with that right. They'll take a step through. What happens, one of the, one of the important fundamentals we're going to get to in a minute is the pull with the left hand. If you're stepping through, you're falling forward. Okay, you're falling into the cast. And what that does is shorten that stroke. If you're, if you're pulling from here to here, both feet are on the ground, you got that full stroke. If you're falling into it, you have shortened that stroke. Does that make sense? In other words, you're here. If you do it properly, you got this. If you're falling forward, you're basically shortening that stroke. So you want to keep both feet on the ground, transfer the weight from your right foot, right, right leg to your left leg as you're coming through. If you find yourself stepping, the fix to that is to plant that left foot firmly and push back. That'll keep you balanced. That will stop you from falling forward. Ideally, you don't want to fall forward. You don't want to lean back because you lose power either way. You want to generate the power, come through, finish high. So that, that's number one. That is the, uh, that's the footwork. Fundamental number two is your body. Your footwork is the foundation of success. That's the way I refer to it. It's number one for a reason. It is the fundamental, it, it is the foundation of success. Number two is your body. People think that you cast 100% with your arms. People think, well, I'm throwing my arms, I'm throwing my arms. Your body is the, the, it's the engine. Your body is the power plant. Your body is what provides the energy through the first 90% of the cast. Your arms are going to be passive through the first 90% of the cast and very active at the end. So, with my body, I think of it as a spring uncoiling from the ground up. In other words, I'm here, my footwork is set. I rotate back at my hips. I get my arms extended out. We'll cover that in a minute. Arms away from my body. Now, starting, and I have a, a saying, I call it right hip to target. In other words, if I'm here, the first move is going to be my lower body, my right hip turning to the target. That allows the sequence to be proper. What you don't want to do is this. You don't want to start with your upper body first. You want to start with your lower body, hips, torso, chest, shoulders, arms, in that sequence. Your arms are the last thing to come through. It's like cracking a whip. The arms are the last part to come through. So we're here. Rotate back at my hips. Arms extended. I'm going to start with the lower body. I'm exaggerating that move. It doesn't have to be much. It just has to be first. Okay, so we're here. Lower body 
first, torso second, chest gets squared to the target, and finish the catch. So it's like an uncoiling of a spring from the ground up. And if you get out of sequence, it doesn't seem like much, <clears throat> but on, on a casting field in, in competition, it can cost you 50 to 100 feet by being out of sequence. Wow. So we're, we're here, rotate back at the hips, right hip to target to start, right hip, torso, chest, shoulders, arms. So we're here, boom, so execute. Okay, that's okay. fundamental number two. Fundamental number three is your arms. Okay, your body's the engine. Your body's what powers the cast. Your arms are the connecting rods between the engine and the stick. Your arms are passive through the first 90% of the cast. This is probably <clears throat> the hardest thing to get novice or actually the worst one is the experienced caster. The guy that's been doing it for 30 years, he can't change. It's hard to change old habits. So if I'm here and I rotate back, my arms are going to be extended from here to here. My body's driving the bus. My arms are not, my arms are passive. They're along to the right. So I'm here to here. You see that? I'm here to here. Body is driving that bus. The last 10% of the caster arms become very, very active. So I'm here. I'm here. From this point, your arms become aggressively active in the punch and pull. We're pulling from here to here, punching from here to here. Basically, done properly, <clears throat> my hands are switching places in space at the end of the cast. So we're here, we're here. Notice the position of my left hand. My right hand is now where my left hand was with a hard pull and a hard punch. Start slow, finish fast, punch, pull. Your arms. <clears throat> Here's what happens. 90%. At least nine, probably higher number than that. Of fishermen, when they cast, they get they might do everything right till they get ready to go, and then they start pulling here. They start pulling from way down here instead of up here. Your left hand should be between your eyes and your target, and your target is not the sandbar or away. Your target's a spot in the sky, 45 degrees above the horizon, over that spot on the way or the sandbar. So <clears throat> your left hand should be here. You should be looking at it, and then, boom, you should swap spaces with your right and left hand. What happens is people pull from here and then punch. They basically use their left hand very little, if at all. And it takes no more effort to pull from here to here than it does to pull from here to here. That makes sense. So they're pulling low and in, and they're taking away a large percentage of their power by doing that. So... Footwork foundation of success. Your body's the engine that drives the cast. Your arms are very important, but you have to come in with the power at the right time with your arms, which is late. So we're here to, to, to demonstrate the whole thing. I got my footwork set. Rotate back at my hips. Arms are extended. This is very important. Imagine you're giving the rod away to somebody. Stick your arms out away from your cat from from uh, from your body. <clears throat> I should have led with this, but I'm going to throw it in there now. The secret to long-distance casting, and this is no BS. People, when I say those words, people start rolling their eyes. But this is the secret to long-distance casting. It's learning to put the rod and hence the sinker through the largest arc that you can generate. Accelerating through that arc, finishing with a burst of power and speed late. If you tuck your arms in, you have killed your arc. You don't have an arc. You have, you have shorted it down to nothing. 
by being here. What you want is arms out, rotate through, get here, get to that arc is as big as I can make it. I got, I, I was blessed with a lot of natural strength, but I was not blessed with long arms. I got stumps. I got short, stumpy arms. So I had to learn to use them. You want to get here and execute through the largest arc that you can generate. If you're here, you've got no arc. If you're pulling in here first before you hit it, you're shortening your arc. You want to do everything you can to keep that arc as big as possible. And, and the secret is learning to get your arm. <clears throat> to this day, I still, if I start having trouble, I'm like, okay, dummy, give the rod away. Here, buddy. get it out away from your body because that increases that arc and it's an immediate increase in distance. So we got the footwork, the body, and the arms. Those are the physical uh, fundamentals. The, 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 the fourth fundamental is acceleration. And I'm, I'm going to sit back down for these. This one. Um, acceleration of the cast. A lot of guys when they're surf fishing, especially when they say, okay, I got to throw this one out past that second bar or out the backside of the first bar. They just try to brutal, just brutally smash the rod as hard as they can. And what happens often is that their, their thumb on a bay casting reel, their thumb is not physically strong enough to stop that spool from spinning underneath. Does that make sense? And, and anybody who has ever done that and squealed like a girl, looked down at the thumb and it's burnt white, that they know. They, they, know that, that they know the problem. What that is, is where you're trying to accelerate four, five, six, even eight ounces of lead before it is in motion. You've got to allow the sinker to get into motion before you apply the real power. And that's where the arms come back in. If you're waiting until you're here and here to hit it, that sinker is already, if you're throwing a ground cast, the sinker's already up off the ground. It's already moving. It's already in motion through its arc. It's moving pretty quickly. You can apply all the power in the world without burning your thumb. That burnt thumb means that what that is, that burnt white on your thumb is a combination of burnt flesh and melted monofilament. That's what it is. And that's why it hurts the way it does. It's not going, you're not going to go to the ER. You're not going to, you're not injured, but it's going to ruin your day. It's going to mess your day up. So yeah. um, learning to start slow, accelerate through this arc we're talking about and finish fast will prevent that from happening. Um, if you, I, I got a, a an analogy, a story that it really works well with guys, especially car guys. But imagine, imagine that you are, you've got a, a sports car, you got a Corvette, you got a Ferrari, Porsche, or in my case, a old, old GTO. Um, you're sitting at a dead stop. You, you're, you're not moving. And in front of you is a long sweeping left-hand curve. Okay. You got two objectives. Number one is to get from the dead stop through that sweeping left curve as quickly as possible. Your second objective is don't wreck the Ferrari. Okay, you don't want to crash it. Now, from a dead stop, you got 600 horsepower under the hood. Are you going to put your right foot down on the accelerator to the floor to start? Are you going to do that? No, no, you're not. If you do, the wheels are going to spin. You're going to put your Ferrari in a ditch. Okay, you failed your objective. What you do is you, you, you roll off, you start slow, you accelerate, and as you get into the apex of that curve, you nail it. You've got traction. Your wheels are going to stick. You're not going to spin. You're going to come out the, the uh, other end of the, the, 
fast as possible. Well, cast is exactly the same way. If you try to nail it from the start, your thumb is not physically strong enough to hold that spool from losing traction and spinning under your thumb. That hints the burnt monofilament and flesh. Um, but if you start slow, accelerate through this arc and finish with a burst of power and speed late, that sinker's in motion. It's, it's like hitting a moving target. It, it's easy. It doesn't hurt your thumb. <clears throat> they say, and I'll say that the, the, the best casts are effortless. And the reason the best casts are effortless is because you have got that sinker in motion, moving through an arc before you apply that finishing power. So acceleration is fundamental um, number four, and it's, it's very important. Um, now, the, the last fundamental uh, is a number, and it's something that a lot of fishermen, even guys that have been doing this for, for many, many years and decades, don't understand. And that's, that's the number 45. It's 45 degrees. And it comes up over and over and over in, in casting for distance. Um, the first place it comes up, we've already talked about this, is in your footwork. When you're setting up, when you set your, your right foot at clock face center and your left foot at 12 o'clock, and then you take that little step over to the left to 1030, that's a 45-degree offset. That's 45 degrees from target. So that, that's the first place that, that it comes through. The second place, the number 45 degrees comes in is your target. Your target is not, again, it's not the sandbar. It's not a wave. It is a spot in the sky, 45 degrees above the horizon. Now, what happens is guys say, oh, 45 degrees, that's not that much. That's down here. No, if you're, if you're flat at zero and 90 degrees is straight above your head, it's halfway between those two, it's higher than you think. Yeah, and the is. only way to get there is to look at that target. You've got to look where you want to cast. You've got to pick your directional target, go 45 degrees over that, and, and, and apply your power to that target. That is your spot in the sky. When I'm teaching, when I'm giving lessons, I, 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 I hope for a partly cloudy day so I can pick a cloud and tell them, you think it's down here, but it's really up there. That's, that's where you're trying to shoot for. So uh, your target, 45 degrees in the sky. Uh, the second, the second uh, place that's very important, and I'll demonstrate this one, is uh, sticking the rod. What I mean by that, when, when you finish your cast, you don't want to do this. And this happens a lot. I see this all the time. Guys will fish, and they'll come way down here, and the rod will actually be, tip will be pointing at the sand. The line will go through that last guide and be angling up because it, the sinker's going in the sky. What you want to do is stick your, stick your rod to that point in the sky. So we're here, boom, you want to finish with the rod pointing to that 45-degree spot in the sky. Uh, if you over-rotate, if you come down here with it because you tried to hit it so hard, then you think, oh, my God, Tommy said don't do that, and then snatch the rod back up. If you're throwing a bait casting reel, that'll set up a power wave in that line and it'll run right back down to the spool, poof, cause a bird nest. So what you want to do is stick it, boom. That does a lot of things. Um, it, uh, probably the most important is it stops uh, tip wobble, what we call in the industry recovery time, and high modulus carbon does a good job of this too. When you hit the rod, Boom, you see the rod will sit out there and, and wobble. If you if you stick it to that spot in 45 in the sky, it'll stop. You won't have a lot of that wobble to it out there. And, and again, high modulus carbon helps with that also. Um, so and, and then the last the last area that 45 degrees is really uh, important. Imagine the arc that the rod's going through. You've seen guys cast side on, they're falling down here. 
dangerous. I don't want to be that guy down the beach when somebody's throwing side on. It's very dangerous. Straight overhead plunk cast, very accurate. Okay, it's probably the most accurate cast that, that there is in straight overhead thump. But your arc is smaller with that cast. The perfect angle, the, the most efficient and effective angle is coming through a 45 degree. So I'm not coming through flat arm or flat, flat uh, side arm. I'm not coming through straight overhead. It's halfway between those two points at 45 degree. So I'm here and that rod is coming through at a 45 degree angle. It's not changing planes or changing direction. In other words, I'm not here and then changing to an overhead thump. It's coming through on one steady arc. Does that make sense? It does. Uh, the only one I always wondered with that when you're coming through that 45 is the getting the shot straight versus 45 and a continuing left. Okay, you are correct. The, uh, the overhead thump is the most accurate cast. When you get away from that being sidearm or 45, there's there's a timing element. And the and what you have to do, let me get my head back in here. What you have to do is get the uh, uh get the get the timing down so that your release point is on target. It's almost intuitive. I mean, if if you if you if you come through and you cast and your sinker flies to the right, more than likely you're releasing early. If it flies to the left, more than likely you're holding on too long. But, but those, those things, if it's just a little bit, say if you're throwing and you're consistently five, eight degrees right of your target, you can adjust that. You can fix that by shortening your drop. The drop is the distance from the rod tip, the tip guide, to where your sinker is dangling, your bait is dangling when you're cast ready. That's called the drop. That needs to be the same every time you cast. Then you can make this adjustment. If you're consistently off to the right, shorten it about four inches. Everything in the cast will happen faster. You'll come through quicker, and it'll be on target when you release. If you're consistently throwing five to eight degrees left of target, exactly the opposite. Add about four to six inches of drop. It'll slow everything down and bring you back on target. So when you're dialed in and your cast is, is correct, you can actually use your drop length to adjust or adapt based on direction. Uh, and that can change from day to day based on how you feel, what's going on in your, you know, your, your body. If you're having aches or pains, it might adjust a little bit. But you can absolutely um, adjust your direction based on that if you're consistent. Now, if you're throwing 20 degrees left, 20 degrees right, you got other fundamental issues you got to work on first. But, but once you get it dialed in, um, that, that 45 degrees coming through is going to give you the biggest arc Going back to the secret of power casting, that 45-degree arc coming through is what's going to give you the biggest arc and hence the best cast as far as distance goes. I never would have thought that reg length would make such a difference with that. That is, that's pretty impressive right there. Well, it's just, you know, it's like I said early on, I, I became obsessed is not even really the right word. It became a dominant force in my life. I had to become the best I could be at it. I, I can't explain why. I don't know. It just it just obsessed me. And uh, once I had a taste and and started winning tournaments, and then I think it was two thousand and it was two thousand four or five. Well, let's see. It's on the walls. Two thousand five was when I first broke the United States distance casting record. Um, then I reset that record about a half a dozen times during my during my run. It became a, a defensive mechanism for me. I didn't want 
I didn't want to lose that. I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to, to, to fall off that pedestal. So I fought hard to defend it. And, uh, and you know, inevitably father time wins. And I, and, and I did, but it was, a uh, it was an obsession and all those little things are, are items that I would go to the field and work on. I, I would set up a camera every single cast in, in practice. That's what I've got like 350 YouTube videos out there. And, and 90% of those are just me casting, just practice, not, not tutorial, not instructional, just me where I would videotape this stuff. And early on, what I would do is videotape it and, and, and share it um, through YouTube to my guy buddies in the UK and get them to critique my cast to figure out what I was doing wrong. But, but after enough time, I, I, I was able to self-critique and, and, and learn. But, but all these little things and, and breaking these five fundamentals down is really where it's at. And then guys say, well, that's just tournament casting. That doesn't really apply to fishing. Well, it does. Uh, what, what we've talked about, those five fundamentals, all that is, that's teaching you the proper way to hit a cast. You can take that to the next level. You've got, and once, once you learn that, once you learn those five fundamentals, you can apply that to any casting style, whether you want to throw a, uh, a regular beach cast, we call it a Hatteras cast, a ground cast, um, a tournament-style ground cast, which is a very effective cast, um, or even the full-on tournament pendulum cast. The finish is the same. It's all about getting that sinker in motion, coming through the arc, and hitting it hard late. And once you get it dialed in, then, then your accuracy pretty much comes, and, and, and you can make whatever little adjustments you need to make. Well, thank you very much for sharing all that because that was a ton of great things that a lot of people are going to, you know, I already know we're going to start seeing stuff after this episode of like, so 45, I want a little of this, you know, it's going to help people out and that's key. So thank you so much but, but for sharing with that, sir. That That's, that's, that's my, my, what I call the five fundamentals of, of power casting. And, uh, and as a shameless plug, carolinacastpro.com DVD, it's on there. It's got everything in there from, the five fundamentals to demonstrate different casts, to real tuning, just a lot of different, different things that I learned over the, you know, 20, 20, however many, 25 years now that I've been doing this. Yeah. You might have a few years of experience that people could probably learn from. Just yeah. But I'm, I'm worn out. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I, I watched, uh, I believe it was one of your recent ones. Um, there was a recent tournament you went out and cast and somebody had launched it well over, I want to say it was close to 400. It was, mm -hmm. like, it was just un, unreal numbers of like, good Lord, that thing can fly. Yeah. So. I was, last weekend we had a tournament and uh, one of my, and, and I'm actually, I'm proud of this. One of my, uh, I, I will use loosely use the word student uh, because this guy came to me and, and, and asked me and I helped him. I gave him all the information that I could. And now this guy is the best caster in the country. His name is Ryan Lambert. And, and he, oh, my God, see, I, I'm, I was old when I started. I was 38, 39 when I started my first tournament. Um, and I guess I, I, I was, I had one advantage. I was blessed with natural strength. But, you know, I was never that superstar athlete. But, Ryan, this guy's like six foot three or four, 250 pounds, ex-collegiate baseball pitcher. So he's oh, got the so whole package. Wow. Yeah, he, he's an athlete. I always wondered. I always wondered what would happen if a real, honest to God, big, strong athlete got in this sport. Well, I'm learning. Um, but he, uh, he, he kills it. But it, it's, I, I've got a lot of pride in the fact that I helped him. You know, I, I, I helped smooth his technique and teach him what he needed to do. And the doggone scariest part is, he's not there yet. 
He's not there. He's broken. He is now the United States record holder, and he his his technique has got plenty of room for improvement. So, uh, but 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 yeah, that's the thing. Probably that I enjoy the most now above all else is helping other people learn how to cast. That's the thing that I enjoy the most. Hence, I've, I've talked myself hoarse. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the good news is you only got a couple questions left. and then you're oh, I'm good, man. I'm good. I got water. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So let's go ahead and get into the last questions here. Uh, what knowledge would you give to a brand new angler starting out to fish? Be patient. Uh, learn. Don't try to. Don't try to, to impress and, and, and be something you're not. In other words, don't try to walk out there and immediately want respect and expect people to, to, uh, to, to believe that you're some kind of God's gift to angling. Be patient. Take your time. Learn. Pick people. You mentioned the word mentors earlier. Pick people who are successful at what they do and ask them questions. What I found is a lot of times, People who even may have the reputation of being standoffish and not wanting to talk. If you if you break it down to the least common denominator, which is fishing, and you and you and you ask them questions and you're polite and 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 friendly in your approach, they want to share their knowledge. And if you will, if you will just be patient, ask questions, learn, and and don't but in the process of doing that, don't be that guy that's the pain in the butt. And I admitted earlier, I was that guy when I was trying to learn to cast. I, I was thirsty for knowledge and I was trying to learn. I was a pain to a lot of people, but, uh, and, and thank you to anybody that sees this, that, that helped me, uh, but try not to be a pain in the butt. And uh, finally on that, I would say, don't spot burn. Don't, don't, don't catch a fish and, and, and immediately plaster, you know, all over social media. Now, if you catch a fish and you're at Cape point and you post people, a picture, everybody's gonna know where you were. It's not, it's not a big deal, but if you got, if, if you're, if a friend, has graciously taken you to a secret spot and you catch a fish and you're all pumped up and excited and, and you take pictures and in the background of that picture is a certain tree or, or, or a certain piece of structure, a jetty, wall, anything, people go nuts. And then the next day, that spot's going to be flooded with, with people. So don't, don't spot burn. And, uh, and, and again, just be patient, learn, and, uh, and don't give up your buddy's fishing spot. I mean, it's not like on social media we have people that would ever – tap your picture and start no. zooming in and no, no, no. I know where that is. No. My God, things have changed. I, I you know, I, I came up in, uh, through the, the whole era when I started fishing, you know, there, there, you know, we didn't even have cell phones and, you know, which was great. You could get down on the beach and not be bothered for however many hours, but, but now you're in constant contact and social media has made it such that everybody is, you know, you're connected all the time. Very much so. That is for sure. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go with this one. What do you think a reason has been for such a surge to surf fishing? Well, I can tell you from based on um, being a uh, kind of a specialized tackle supplier. You know, my, my thing is I supply tackle rods and reels to surf fishermen. Um, believe it or not, COVID was a huge boom for surf fishing. Um, I remember when COVID hit in uh, – 2000, you know, April should be a prime season. My sales fell flat. I wasn't moving anything. I thought, oh, my God, this might be the end of, of what I'm doing. And then they opened the beaches back up, and people will learn. People realize, 
hey, I can social distance. I can go out on the beach. I'm not around people, and I can fish and have fun. It was an absolute boom for surf fishing. 2020 and 2021 were the best years that I've had as a, uh, as a, as a tackle salesperson because of social distancing and getting out and away from other people. And, uh, and it seems to have carried on. People have, have now realized not only is that a good way to social distance, but it's fun. It's, it's a lot of, uh, it's, it's a challenge and it's a lot of fun to do. So I think that recently that that's probably going to be the biggest thing that, um, that I would say that has helped, um, is, is, is the COVID situation because people can get out there and do their thing and, 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 and not be bothered. Plus people work, they started working remotely and they realized they could take their laptop, they could go to the beach and work and, and, and call it work. And then, uh, you know, end up fishing too. Yeah. Those are, those are the days, weren't they? Oh, I can telework from here. Well, oh, yeah, oh, actually, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, you kind of mentioned this one and uh, I'll ask it again to see if there was many, anything else left. What do you recommend to someone coming to your area to fish? That's never been there before does before they even put a line in the water. Again, watch, observe and learn. Uh, when in Rome, do as the Romans do, um, ask questions. Um, and, and if you're fishing a location, say like Cape point, doesn't have to be Cape point, but anywhere there's current and you got a drift. Uh, and, and this is, this is a, uh, I'm going to call it a, a fundamental flaw in tactics. People cast and they stand there. They'll sand spike. They'll put their, they'll put their rod and, and reel in a sand spike, and then they'll go make a sandwich. And, and this current does what current does. And in 15 minutes, their, their sinker's on the beach, you know, 50, 75 yards down the beach. And if there's anybody fishing down there, that's an immediate tangle. You're not, you're not making friends like that. So if you're fishing an area that, that, that it's drifting, there's a couple of tactics that you can use, you know, number one, being heavier weight, whatever it takes to hold bottom. Um, but the, the thing is, if it's drifting, drift is not bad. Drift inherently is good because you're covering more ground with one cast. So if it's a, if it's a right to left drift, walk down the beach, hundred feet, cast out and then walk with your, with your rod, stay in front of your line, keep the slack out. Don't dummy, don't snatch it so that you're, you're constantly reeling in or you don't have any line out, but, but just follow it, follow it, stay in front of it. Don't be the guy that stands here in the, uh, in the line takes off down the beach. Uh, yeah. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. You won't make friends and influence people that way. You know, I haven't really dealt with it so much drift fishing here. Cause I mean, mm -hmm. the current here is not. Yeah. You just put, enough, put, put whatever weight on is necessary to hold. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But the idea of, you know, if we've got a westward current, it's perfect for us. I mean, you throw it out and you just walk the beach. Just I would do it. I would do that versus, right. I mean, it would change, change tactics. I would try that. I would, I would throw it out and, and just let, let it do its thing and just stay with it. And, uh, and as long as you're not, you know, encroaching on somebody else's sacred spot beside you, then, uh, then, then fine, work the drift. It's, it's a, a very successful tactic at or around Cape Hatteras. I'm going to have to try it here sometime. That's for sure. Uh, so the final question, we'll get you out of here. And this has been great, Tommy. Thank you so much for this. Yep. What's next for you? Well, uh, I guess I'm just going to keep doing what I do. Uh, I'm, uh, I love, I love my job. I I'm blessed to be able to, to do what I do and to help other people 
uh, number one, improve their catch, improve their casting ability, and put uh, high-quality uh, rods and reels in people's hands. And I, I'm going to tell you this opportunity for the shameless plug. Uh, my company, my business is Carolina Cast Pro, uh, carolinacastpro.com. I've got a complete lineup of surf fishing rods, everything from a light eight foot inshore half to one and a half ounce rod, uh, all the way up to a 13 foot eight to 12, which is a drum fishing machine. Uh, probably my best sellers in, in the Florida market, my best seller is going to be a 13 foot three to six. Uh, super high modulus carbon fiber rod. I'll put it up against anything out there as far as performance. Um, I've got 11 foot, I got a 10 foot one to four, 11 foot two to five, 11 foot three to six, 12 foot three to seven, uh, 13 foot three to six, six to 10 and eight to 12. And then I've got a 12 foot eight, four to eight ounce. So I pretty much have the whole lineup covered. Uh, I am 10 high modulus carbon fiber, uh, Fuji K guides on the factory built rods. Um, they, they perform, I, I, I put them up against anything out there when i say that i mean any anything out there and, and and typically come out even or ahead um so carolinacastpro.com let me help you i really I, I probably my best seller is at 13 3 to 6 and the reason it's my best seller is florida pompano fisherman and I, and i really want to expand uh my business in the florida market so look me up guys i'll be glad to help you and comprehensive uh guide to power casting dvd carolinacastpro.com. Well, those have been great. Thank you so much, Tommy, for everything. The knowledge, being so open with all this, and hopefully, I know it will. There's no way this doesn't help somebody out there. And uh, yes, if I am coming to North Carolina, I will happily let you know. Hi, I'd like to have you come whip my ass for a little while and enjoy some good conversation and walk the beach as we try to drift. That'd be fun. I would just be, I just, I'd be honored to help you get better. That's all. <laughs> well, much appreciated, sir. Uh, we'll definitely talk soon, and uh, we'll see you next time. Okay. All right, sir. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you've been listening to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. I hope this podcast helped you because I know it helped me. I mean, I've got a whole list of notes here and it's going to be great. So again, go back over to Tommy's website, carolinacastpro.com. Lots of stuff in the shop, things to get there. And also the DVD, he explained, he basically breaks it all down for you and shows you right there. We only went over the five fundamentals in a very short segment here on the podcast. And there's a lot more detail with that. So lots of pieces there. You can also look at his YouTube channel, lots of information. Like he said, he's got videos on there. He was using for critiques from his friends and other people. That's still stuff for you. Always game day knowledge, right? We're always looking at footage, trying to find a way to get better. So hopefully this episode helped you. If it did, don't forget to share it out there because somebody else could also use it. You've listened to Finding Demo Surf Fishing. Great seeing you. I'm out of here. We'll <laughs>